good time. For a good time. For a good time. For a good time. Elvira, swinging and phone repair. Welcome to today's episode of For a Good Time. Uh, I'm Isabel Arf. Who are you? I don't know who I am anymore, um, but I am Juan sometimes, and I'm here to talk to you. <laughs> Juan sometimes would be a great name for like a poet. Oh my god, maybe I'll use that as my pen name once I start writing hot pornography, <laughs> if somebody lets me. Um, but what are we talking about today? Because you are the one who suggested it, and I'm going to let you take the lead because we're talking about your favorite pornographic director, is that fair to say? Yes, absolutely. I would say that is a very fair description of uh, one Radley Metzger, who was also known as Henry Paris for some of his uh, very hardcore pornographic features in the 70s. And the movie that we are talking about today is Score from 1974. God, I fucking love this movie. Um, I've like, I think I mentioned in passing uh, early, 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 early on uh, that my friend Francisco actually showed me this movie as like my first porn film, um, or at least like golden era porn film that I had ever seen and really just kind of threw me into this whirlwind of obsession and i'd like to say thank you for that again uh <laughs> whirlwind is a, obsession is another good name for like a porno chic movie i mean i'm I, I've, i'm on a roll today with names god i just need someone to give me a deal so um <laughs> yeah scores like my favorite movie so i'm gonna try to keep this um tighter than i could you're gonna re- recite the entire script from memory I mean, I probably could. I actually do have the entire opening narration written down (laughs) (laughs) because I do think it's very entertaining, but I'll read that later. So, score is actually adapted from a play by the writer who also did the screenplay, Jerry Douglas, and it was an all-nude stage play called No One's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which is obviously (laughs) a play on Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which is like the best movie ever. Um, and the best play ever. <laughs> it's very obvious that this is all very much pandering to me. Um, and essentially, score is just about these two couples placed into a situation where the older couple is trying to fuck the younger couple. And it's mostly one woman trying to fuck the younger woman, but the husbands get sort of roped in one intentionally and one unintentionally. And that's basically the whole plot and the entire setup for this movie, because it's just like, I don't, how long is fucking score? Like a little under 90 minutes, I think. No, it's 91. Oh, is it really? Wow. So 91 minutes of just perfect comedy writing and back and forth flirtation and weird manipulation, all leading to fucking. And it's great. And I love it. And it's sincerely just a very funny, smart movie that also happens to be pornography. And I'm going to let you talk because I will literally keep on just rambling about how much I love this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would say that uh, your plot description is correct, but I also think there's a lot more actually kind of going on there. Oh, totally. Like, I think that a lot (laughs) of the... uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> like, there's Eddie, who is like the husband, and Betsy, who's the wife, and they clearly have some tension between each other. And that tension, essentially exploiting that tension, is how Elvira and Jack, who are the swinging, the swinging couple, are able to kind of break through their defenses and eventually fuck them. It also leads to... So, so there, there's one story arc I like quite a bit. There's one story arc I'm kind of got frustrated with. Uh, the story arc I like quite a bit is with Eddie, uh, because Eddie is the husband, and he very clearly has sexual fantasies about other men, but he doesn't want to act on it at all. Mm-hmm. And Jack uh, essentially gets him to come out of his shell and gets him to try this thing he's been wanting to try for a very, very long time. And it's it's genuinely interesting to watch and see how that develops and see kind of how Eddie pushes back against that and works through all of that. Whereas Betsy, her arc is really just that she's very chaste and she's like a Catholic schoolgirl. Um, she's a little older than that, but that's how still she envisions herself. She doesn't want to let herself go, and then eventually she does. And to me, that's that like I just got frustrated with her at a certain point. Because I was like, okay, come on. Like, like, just fucking fuck Elvira. First of all, she looks like she looks like Elvira in the I mean it's Claire Wilbur is the actual actress's name. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's gorgeous. She is like an amazing personality and like this incredibly strong and like aggressive and assertive way about her that I love. And uh, she shows up wearing like a like nun's outfit, and she's great. Like like Betsy, just fucking do it already. Uh, so that was a little frustrating for me, but I will say that even then, there was a couple times that I still very much enjoyed it. Like uh, how Elvira is constantly getting frustrated because just as she's about to get to fuck Betsy, Betsy will like do some other like l- like like teenage shit, basically. Yeah. Like she's not it's a teenager, such, but she very much acts that way. Absolute nonsense. That innocence. And she just, yes. She just like it. Really, is so much of like a cat and mouse game throughout the movie, and it's that's what's really entertaining to me is just watching Elvira's like hopes and dreams be <laughs> like pulled away over from over her. Again? Yeah, like every single well, fucking second. <laughs> the, the funniest one to me is when. Um, Things are about to happen, and then Betsy's like, what if I play the piano again? And if I was yes. like, oh my god, fine, fucking do that, I guess. Yeah, like, go play fucking Chopsticks some more. And I will say, I I think one of the best jokes in the movie that's, like, so stupid, and I was a little disappointed because the last time I watched it with someone, they didn't laugh as hard as I did at this joke. It's when Betsy's playing Chopsticks, and then she just stops and she's like, Ah, oh, I wish I remembered the ly- like the words to this song, and I just like <laughs> it's so fucking funny. It's so good because like yeah, that's exactly what like this like just above teenage girl who's like high as fuck for like the first time and mm-hmm. trying to get seduced by these adults. Or <laughs> not trying to get seduced; these adults are trying to seduce her. Would say in this situation, it's just so fucking dumb. And I love it. <laughs> it's it's great. Um, I also am a big fan of uh, Mike the Hornier Telephone Repairman. <laughs> yes. So there is a fifth character in this movie besides the two <laughs> couple. Who was played by Sylvester Stallone on stage, uh, which is a oh, fun really? fact. Yeah, at least according to Wikipedia. And there's two citations for it, so I'm just going to believe it. I will also believe that because I think that would be super entertaining. 
Um, at some point, we'll have to watch the actual porno that Sylvester Stallone was in. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, like Mike is single-minded, and he's also he embodies the things about this movie that I like best, which is the positivity and the just willingness to go like, yeah, f- fine, let's just fuck. Why not? Like, what else are we doing? Yeah. And y'all are cool with it, so let's just go for it. Like, he shows up in really two scenes. One is uh, when Betsy is kind of hanging out with Elvira, and Mike comes over, and Elvira just starts fucking him, and Betsy leaves because she's like, I don't, I don't know what's going on, and then. <laughs> well she stays and watches for a while because she is fairly she's intrigued and uncomfortable but she's also fascinated by the dynamics of the relationship and she is holding a camera because she was about to take photographs of elvira in the process of seduction (laughs) (laughs) it's like every single instance of like something happening in this movie is part of a grander scheme building up to seduction and i think that's like riveting honestly <laughs> no i i would agree um but then just just real quick the other mike scene is after both these couples have fucked and eddie is very much like we need to go home like we're not going to talk about that fact that we did this we're just going to pretend this didn't happen and betty's like fuck you like we're going to stay over here and we're going to fuck some more and we're just going to make this part of our lives because why not like i i enjoyed it you enjoyed it why don't we keep doing it and Mike comes over and he, like Elvira introduces him to Jack. And instead of being like, oh shit, is Jack going to be mad at me because I fucked his wife? He's like, hey, Jack, like you're, you're, you're an attractive man. I mean, I don't remember what he says exactly, but he's, he's basically like, hey, I'm going to fuck you. That sounds cool. Yeah. He basically just says like, please don't make me go through all those games again. Can we just get on with it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, and I think that the best moments of this movie and the, the really cool arc of it is that it goes from this couple who don't feel comfortable expressing themselves sexually and who don't even feel comfortable with each other. And then the more the movie goes along, they learn to accept themselves and they learn to accept the fact that pleasure is good and that they're not doing anything wrong. And Eddie's kind of arc of learning to be like, hey, actually, I really enjoyed fucking a guy let's do that more like let's uh, hey mike mike's pretty attractive let's go talk about bowling and let's go run away from uh uh jack and elvira as we like skip down the street basically yeah it's 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 this very like positive feeling yes exactly it's such a charming way of like like i hate watching all of like these movies and these shows and things that imply that like there's no way to do polyamory that doesn't sort of like result in somebody being like miserable and like weeping over the other person cheating or something and it's like no 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 it's like this movie is literally just like what if there was a world where like bisexually and bisexuality and polyamory are like the gold standard and like this is just how people are and like you sort of enter this like queer utopia and like even yeah. even it's just like a fairy tale. And like the movie is very aware that it is a fairy tale. It makes jokes about it as well. Like it references like Mike's the big bad wolf. And like the opening sequence of the movie that's just like looking into this gorgeous town and just a narration about like once upon a future time, you know, in the lush lush land of plenty and like blah 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 which was actually voiced by the movie's editor, who's amazing, and also worked with him on a couple of other movies, including, like, Naked Came the Stranger, which is one of my other favorites of his. And I think that's the one with the black and white 
like silent film sex scene, but I can't remember. It's so good. Um, that sounds great. But back to score. The movie's like so interested in dismissing these archaic notions about like what a relationship can be in a way that like is really kind of groundbreaking even like not just for the time but like even now (laughs) yeah and like like when you mentioned so many movies that include anything about polyamory or anything like that it's the, the conflict seems to be between relationships but score instead yes. is like, no, the conflict is with this person. Like, Eddie is the one who isn't letting thing like, isn't accepting himself and isn't actually letting himself be who he is. And that's why there's conflict. It's not because Betsy or Jack or Elvira are doing anything wrong. It's because, like, he is not uh, getting over himself. And the happy ending yeah. is him getting over himself. And I do want to, like, you know put in my like somewhat serious hat like stepping out of like the movie which is obviously i don't think that everyone should be polyamorous like it's, i'm not one of those people who is like sure, people aren't meant to be monogamous like for some people that works yeah. and it's great but at the same time uh it is really cool to see a movie in which that is presented as a positive and fun thing and there's there's nothing there, there's no like negative after effects uh once everyone talks and once everyone is communicative and eddie like learns to embrace the side of himself that he wanted for years uh, that he just suppressed over and over and over again. And it's like very, very clearly shown that he is not necessarily happy with the way things are going. Like one of the like inciting incidents for their frustrations with each other is literally her being kind of horny, wanting to fuck. And then him being like, no going to the bathroom and like jacking off into the mirror. And she sees him doing so it is the exact thing that, like, sort of builds resentment between couples is, like, oh, yeah, you are keeping a secret from each other about what actually brings you pleasure, and that is a problem. When you become open and you actually discuss these things, then you can find comfort and joy. <laughs> yeah, and you can find, like, solutions to these, like, issues, and there's so many other yeah. ways to go about things, and there's so many other ways to live your life than just the one that you were presented with the entire time. I think it's fair to say I really, really fucking like this movie like a lot. It's very charming, like you said. It's very funny. Um, I've mentioned Elvira quite a few times. I fucking love Claire Wilbur as Elvira Jackson. Um, I think she, like, her acting is so good. It really is. It, she has this, such a sense of personality, and she also is just, she does the acting thing where she displays emotions across her face, and she doesn't have to... St- say directly what's happening and she is also it should be noted the only person held over from the stage production and i think in certain ways that shows she seems more comfortable with her character than some of the other people do it seems like less of a put on like lynn lowry as betsy it feels like she's doing an act whereas elvira doesn't or claire wilbur as elvira doesn't feel like she's doing an act it feels much more natural although we'll say i also like jack johnson the husband quite a bit the whole, the, both that that entire couple is just very very charming. I would totally fuck them. They really are like one hundred percent. Like it's like if that was the kind of older couple that was trying to fuck me all the time, I'd totally go for it. And it's like <laughs> what I really like about Claire Wilbur is, and also uh, Gerald Grant. It's like they are both so attuned to the film's sense of humor that like the way Elvira especially or Claire Wilbur especially delivers like her one liners is just so so good. Like it, it's always the exact intonation I want from like, like it's a it's a knowing wink, 
to the audience while also being like serious within the situation. Like she can make those jokes within it and it comes across as funny, but also like it's a palpable frustration and sense of humor that actually lends the character personality. Like you said, it's just so good. And I also think one of the best things about this movie is also just the way they shoot her a lot is like, uh, like the cinematography in this movie is phenomenal. First of all, um, <laughs> and it's uh, God, what's 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 the um, Frano Vodopivic? I'm probably saying that wrong, but like his cinematography in this movie is like flat out exquisite, and there's it's, so, it's gorgeous. So it's much. consistently like there's no none of the shots in the sex scene feel rote or feel like hey, we're just trying no. to get this particular thing on screen. It feels the entire time like oh, we're being brought into the headspace of the characters and we're being shown things slowly and we're being shown things in pieces. And uh, it's something similar to what I liked about when we talked about ink addiction, where it is atemporal. So it doesn't feel like it has to all happen in this one time frame. You're just getting snippets of this entire interaction while still getting a good idea of the, of the whole of it. And the use of the mirror in uh, specifically between Elvira and Betsy is so good. Like they shoot almost that entire scene between them in the mirror and the reflections of it and the way it kind of almost distorts them a little bit occasionally. It's so evocative and beautiful at the same time. And then this, the set design as well, like uh, the set design of the bed that Jack and Eddie fuck on is so cool. Uh, and it's, there's some real good, there's some real good shots of Dixon here, you know? 100%. What's like, what I what I love, 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 love about all of Radley Metzger's movies is the attention to detail in both the cinematography and the production design and the way they interact as, like, their own form of erotic object and, like, aesthetic appeal beyond just the bodies. Like, you could almost say a lot of the nudity in this movie is kind of, like, haphazard until, like, the climactic scene because it's just kind of, like, okay, yes, like, these people are getting naked and, like, putting on new clothes, and it's fine because they're not thinking of, like, the younger couple isn't thinking about the others in the way that one would think of someone in an erotic situation until it becomes that, like, explosion of sex where you're like, oh, this is what it feels like to actually be in this moment. And the camera work is so goddamn intimate in those moments, and it's just... It's so fascinating. And you were mentioning the mirror a lot, which I love. That It's like a giant mirror over their bed. So good. But one of my favorite shots is actually um, like just adding on to this level of voyeurism that the movie plays with a lot is Jack and Eddie are downstairs and they he pulls out a projector. He starts projecting this like porn film that he shot. And he projects it on top of his own pants. So there's an outline, or not an outline, a shot of a cock, like, (laughs) on top of white pants. And then he, like, slowly unzips that. And it's like, oh, that's gorgeous. Like, the bulge in the pants is literally just, like, (laughs) what's being projected. I don't know. (laughs) I can't even explain it properly. (laughs) No, I I totally get what you're saying. Like, it's it's using technique. It's... It's far more creative than it has to be. 
Because, like, a lot of times when you think about pornography, even, like, a lot of porno sheiks, like, are, they're perfunctory. Like, they're, they're, they're still better um, shot than a lot of other of what we would consider these days to be, like, porn at large. But they didn't go above and beyond, where a score is constantly going above and beyond. Uh, specifically, like, talking about how the scene between Eddie and Jack is shot, I really love the fact that it's more of, like, like a meta thing. So many times, uh, even in movies that are supposed to be, like, about bisexual characters or um, about, um, like, men who fuck men, there's a lot of hesitance to be direct about that or to shoot that erotically. Or it's clear that they want to get that part over with so they can get back to the other part of fucking. Um, like, the, there's, not, there's not a comfortability. Whereas Radley Metzger feels very comfortable in that space and he shoots it with the same love that he shoots the scene between the women in if in many ways more like there's almost more attention paid to that scene than there is the scene between uh elvira and betsy which i think is so cool and when we actually at some point we're going to talk about the zone by joe swanberg which has a very specific part uh involving this about the discomfort of a lot of male directors to shoot um male nudity or to shoot uh men having sex with other men uh and i just really loved the fact that it was so direct and so into the eroticism of that. Like when Eddie puts on his cowboy outfit or like the, the jeans, whenever they're pulling up their jeans or Jack with the sailor uniform, uh, like when he has Eddie draw like a little tattoo on him, it's really intimate in a way that you can't do if you were uncomfortable with the, with the situation. Yeah. And it is really interesting because usually in these kind of movies, the films will, or at least in like, the soft core and like pushing into hardcore because this is basically like that perfect middle ground. Usually in these kind of movies, it's like a lot of straight sex split up by a lesbian sex scene. And here it's actually, it's clearly a director who's very comfortable doing both things, but it's also somebody who like Linda Williams wrote um, about this. And she said that it's, that Radley Metzger simply takes a special delight in confounding sexual role-playing. And I think that's such an interesting concept, because, like, the film is constantly exploring both masculinity and femininity, and the way they sort of overlap and trade with each other. And, like, you look at someone like Eddie, and Eddie is ultimately, like, a fairly passive figure, to the point where, like, he can't express any of his true desires whatsoever. Yeah. Whereas, like, Betsy, who originally seems that way, is the one who ends up becoming the dominant figure. And during, like, that climactic sex scene, there's that one shot that I think is really fascinating that just features Eddie imagining what it would be like if Betsy was fucking him instead of Jack. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's... So, so, so queer and so interesting. And it shows that, like, even though he's clearly very happy in this moment where, like, he's engaging with the, in these, like, masculine on masculine acts with Jack and, like, all of this, like, performative masculine, like, dressing up as a cowboy and going out and proving he's a cowboy, he does want to be a passive figure and a more, like, I hate saying, like, bottoming is feminine, because I don't think that's true, but, like, this idea of, like, a feminine figure being dominant versus just a masculine figure. 
And I think that's a really interesting layer to it. Yeah, and I think it's it's directly supposed to, like the way the cross cutting is done, it's clearly supposed to be echoing the fact that Elvira is pegging Betsy. And then he's imagining Betsy pegging him, which automatically kind of conflates like lesbianism with that act, which I think is really interesting um, because it almost casts Eddie as a like as a like woman getting fucked by another woman in addition to being a man being fucked by another man. And that kind of ambiguity and fluidity and androgyny involved in a lot of the the way the cross-cutting sets things up and the way the cross-cutting compares things is super fascinating. And like, I, I hate using like the term progressive because it's it, it can be so meaningless. <laughs> I was actually thinking, I was wondering if you were trying to come up with a different word. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> but, but the exact it, second you said it. It is that. It's it like, it, yeah, it is very progressive. It's very yeah. like... It'd be difficult to see that even in a lot of films these days or a lot of like stories about uh, bisexual characters is they they're, they're still in need to be like, hey, these are the gender roles this person is filling, even if they're attracted to like, yeah, 100 percent. That X, Y and Z person is still like a man, even though they like get fucked by other men and by women, whereas this film is a lot more willing to play with that, like the fact that. Eddie and Jack dress up in very stereotypically masculine outfits, like the sailor and the cowboy, and very much eroticizing like like blue jeans, uh, especially like like really fucking tight jeans, is to have that move into those moments where he's almost imagining himself as as where Betsy is. I feel I feel like I'm like I'm I'm almost at a loss for words because I a, I loved it, but also it's just so. Uh, freeing and open and direct. Hell, hell, a good movie. If you if you ask me, Juan. yeah. I mean, it's like you were saying that a lot of movies nowadays don't like want to go or don't even have the balls to go to that kind of place. But it's just like I I look at something like and like I hate myself for saying this, but like Call Me by Your Name, and it's like it's the same concept of like these people are all in like a world where like nothing really matters and like it's just like. A bunch of bougie people like enjoying the summer and like their bodies with each other and it's like why then turn that into like this disappointing like shitty story about like first love and like oh no like i'm like oh he's leaving me oh like blah 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 blah, blah. and it's like no like you have you have like two men who are also into women there's a third character there who is a woman who's like has made out with at least one of them or like fucked one of them. It's like, why not just have them all come together in this sort of like sexual awakening for their lives? And then it's also like later implied that the father is like queer in some capacity. And it's like, yes, you can definitely tell in the mother's face throughout the entire movie that she's well aware of everything that goes on around her. And it's like, okay, well, like, why lie and act like she doesn't actually know that he's gay or, like, this or that? And it's like, why not just make them into Elvira and Jack? Why not make them into this couple who, like, has had these sexual experiences? And that's why they're understanding that their son's going through something now that he, like, lost this queerness. And it's just so, so frustrating that, like, so many gay movies nowadays, one cannot understand the concept of bisexuality beyond, like a man fucking a woman and a man or like a woman mm -hmm. fucking man and woman 
but also this idea of like like sexual fluidity not really existing and that people have to be closeted about these desires and it's like no you sh- like we should realize that people are not closeted about these fucking desires all the time and i just like i just saw a trailer for this shitty hbo max <laughs> looking ass documentary about like this straight couple who decided to do polyamory and it's like you already see them like crying and like getting new boyfriends and girlfriends to make each other jealous and i'm like that's that's just a toxic relationship that's yeah. <laughs> not a real open relationship that's just shitty like you guys are in a bad relationship i've been there totally get it <laughs> Definitely did that, but, like, that's not what good polyamory looks like. And you should probably just stick to monogamy if that's what you're going to try doing. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm sorry. It's like, I I will start ranting if if I don't get stopped soon. (laughs) Well, I I mean, uh, like, I have two things there. Like, number one is the general, like... (sighs) What, what you're not saying and what I, I think some people might be hearing, but what I know you're not saying is you're not saying that we can't have movies where these things are difficult and where, or, or even sure. where closet people exist or like a work like, like Fun Home by uh, Alison Bechdel. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yeah. Alison Bechdel. Magnificent, magnificent story. And that, but that's, see, that's a story about like distinctly trying to navigate that and like the repercussions of it yeah it, it's more i think what you're pointing to is more the the knee-jerk way that so many mainstream or semi-mainstream works of art take these subjects and it's funny because uh radley metzger actually has a quote uh that reminds me so much of uh this exact thing we're talking about it's kind of sad it hasn't really improved <laughs> but uh he said uh when I was coming of age, eroticism was always in films, but eroticism was punished. The promiscuous girl never got the leading man. The woman who sold her charms always had a bad fate. The good girl always achieved ends the bad girl never did. As a reaction to that, I tried to do the opposite. You could have a free attitude and behave in a free way and not be punished. A parallel to that is that it could also be light. It didn't have to be tragedy. You could look at sex in a fun way. That was a personal thing to work against the cliches in cinema when I was growing up. Oh, that's like the best quote from a director i've ever heard yeah it's it's (laughs) it's so good because a that speaks to exactly what like porn can do positively like hey if porn is actually directed thoughtfully and directed by someone who's thought about these kinds of things it can be something that's not punishing something that doesn't reinforce cultural stereotypes It can be something that works against cultural stereotypes and says hey this thing that you were told is bad there's actually nothing wrong with it like let's 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 let these people have a good ending instead of constantly making it tragic and yeah it also because of that it ends up being freer and it ends up feeling more natural instead of the the way that so many films especially films about queer people in the general larger community of queer people, how they're so sad and everything is so tragic. And they, they they cordon off that part of their life from everything else that they exist in. It reminds me a lot of uh, Samuel Delaney, uh, who's a sci-fi author who I love. And we will talk about his work at some point because it's also very horny. Oh, that sounds so exciting. I love me some horny sci-fi. Um, but Sam- <laughs> Samuel Delaney uh, wrote a couple of really good books. Uh there's the motion of light and water and red square or times square red times square blue. And he is uh, a black gay man and still alive, actually good for him. 
Uh, I love him. So I love it. And he was writing, especially in like in the 60s and 70s. And he lived in New York during that time. And a lot of his memoirs talk about that. And he talked about how he he found himself when he was talking about uh, his sexuality to his friends and like talking uh, with, with straight people specifically or with therapists and things like that. He would cast himself as this person who is miserable and sad because that's what he was told he had to be. Even though when he actually thought about it, he was happy and like he was fulfilled. He had wonderful relationships. He loved having sex with like the people he had sex with and he loved the lifestyle and like the people he was around. But because the culture told him it was this thing you had to feel ashamed of, he ended up casting himself in that way. And I think that as much as like, yes, representation is good, quote unquote, and we've talked about this before, so we don't need to get into it even more, mm-hmm. but, uh, <laughs> but, but as good as, the fact there's more movies about gay people now and there's more movies about trans people. So many of them are still stuck in these very rigid, culturally defined roles that they don't actually do the positive thing that so much of other work or so much of other work that doesn't even specifically involve queer people can do. Um, So score is like doing better than most modern movies in that way. And I will also say just as far as like, polyamory goes i also think that there's a place for the movie where people are having difficulty with polyamory i think that that is a very interesting dynamic because especially when you start out it is very difficult and there's a lot of unique problems that can come up and it's not just forever happy all the time there's definitely difficulties but i can say as someone who has been in multiple successful polyamorous relationships who is currently in multiple successful polyamorous relationships you talk about those things and you're like, hey, I'm upset about this. And hey, I'm having a difficulty dealing with this thing. You don't just push it down and then get a like another girlfriend to make the other person jealous. Like you act like a fucking God. adult. And I want more movies where polyamorous people act like fucking adults. It would be so nice, wouldn't it? It would be and nice. And it's like, like as someone who had like a failed polyamorous relationship, it's like I know the downside of things. I know when you go into it for like the wrong reasons but i've also seen a lot of like and like joined in on threesomes and whatnot with like a lot of positive loving like polyamorous relationships where like like it's i was joking earlier on twitter like i just want to pitch a book title that's like my friend watched her husband suck my dick and more (laughs) stories and it's like i just like like just to i just want to fucking like normalize this shit like yeah it's it's okay like it's not uninsane thing that like people just (laughs) like pretend is real and are like lying to themselves in relationships that they're unhappy in. it's like no you can be in a happy relationship like chill the fuck out yeah i I mean (laughs) like when you when you say that like there's there's certainly bad ways to go about it it reminds me a lot of also which this is i'm only going to mention this in passing because it's way too large of a discussion we've already gone 42 minutes in this recording um (laughs) is BDSM relationships is very similar where like I will see people in really bad BDSM relationships. Like I have seen that. I've seen ones that I personally have like attempted to get uh, like to talk to the people involved, be like, Hey, this is bad. This is not healthy. I don't like this looks Mm -hmm. really shitty. And like both you need to find why you're actually doing this. But then I've also, I've been in really good versions of that. I've seen really good versions of that. And I think like, the problem with a lot of media that presents 
different kinds of relationships, like non-monogamous relationships, is that, or non-monogamous and traditionally straight relationships, is that they see any different kind of relationship as a deviation from the norm that is should inherently be corrected back towards or is inherently less authentic or in some way less loving or caring than this traditionally modeled relationship. Of course, the problem is that like any relationship you get into with the wrong like intentions will end up shitty. <laughs> like just because you're in a monogamous relationship doesn't mean it's going to end up well just because like you're only fucking one person. I think that that's a, the core of a lot of the problem I have with cultural depictions of polyamory and BDSM is that instead of treat, treating it like a different way of interacting between two or more people, it treats it as something foreign that people don't have experience with, even though the circumstances may be different, but I think a lot of the experiences there are very, very similar and can be related to and don't have to be viewed as th- this other so, um, is there anything else we want to say about score God, while we're here? we got here? real deep on this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I'll close out by saying my favorite story, which is the fact that I, in my queer cinema class, like, five years ago, I actually wrote about this movie for, like, one of our papers for, like, movies before, like, 1979 or whatever, and obviously I got an A on it, and I posted it on <laughs> Dim the House Lights, so I'll probably include it whenever we post this episode. Fun fact, I actually had to send or lend my professor a copy of the movie because he'd never seen it. So I was like, okay, well, <laughs> yeah, I am actually writing about a porn film. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. And I literally gave it to him. I was like, oh, yeah, you deadass wrote about a porn film. And I'm like, thank you. Yes, I did. <laughs> um, I would later go on to sleep with that individual. But oh, it was after school was over good so i was about fun. to be like come on um problematic no much i would one? never do something like that in in class um i'm glad i got my a <laughs> all on my own my sexual talents were saved for a following non-school related session thank <laughs> you for coming to my ted talk um session session <laughs> is such a way to put it um anything you'd like to add <laughs> not really i'm sure We'll talk about stuff another time, although I should. Uh, I will preview the movies we're watching next time. Uh, it's time for us to break into Ooh. my favorite genre and one of my favorite subgenres of that genre. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the legendary... Uh, <laughs> so in my head, I call it POV, but I think it's more like JOI, even though there's not any actual jerk-off instructions involved. But it's the same kind of format where someone is talking to the camera and acting as if you are the person who is behind the camera like they're talking to you we're going to talk about not just that because that's not enough for one episode uh so we're going to talk about two different ones of those they're going to be on the same subject which is trans girls pretending to be your mommy and telling you they're going to force them you so (laughs) i'm actually very excited about this considering i've actually like i've been reading a lot of things like that involve like force femme stuff and like trans women who are fascinated by that so this should be actually very exciting i I have Uh, (laughs) so much to say about it and this is going to be like this is going to be a recurring subject because there's so many different ways the subject can be invoked but the two movies we're going to watch in case anyone wants to rent or rent or buy them (laughs) don't rent them just buy them pretty sure it's the only way to do it but um uh they're both on many vids uh so one is by a creator named icy winters Uh, it's just called mommy turns you into a girl pretty straightforward title there you know you get what you get what you paid for and the other one is by a performer named uh, Libby Harper. 
Um, that's two Bs, Libby Harper. Um, it's just called Become Mommy Sissy Girl. I feel like that's pretty straightforward. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and if you want to get in contact with us, you can contact us uh, on Twitter at for a good time pod or uh, on Gmail at for a good time pod at gmail.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, at Space Jam Fan is my main account. And then my personal not safe for work account is at Enion's Girl Dick. Um, if you decide to follow that one, just be aware there's not very much professional there. It's just me being horny. Um, Juan, where can people find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Whoa, it's Juanito, W-O-A-H, it's Juanito. You can literally find me with that same exact name uh, everywhere else, um, which is very convenient. You can find my writing on my new times, dim the house lights. Uh, I've got some fun stuff coming out on a bunch of other places. So just f- keep up with me on Twitter and um, it'll all be there where I'm yelling about all sorts of nonsense that I'm annoyed about. <laughs> and yeah. Porn. Speaking of, uh, where can you find Score? Um, Score is actually available on Blu-ray, as are a fair amount of Radley Metzger's other movies. I don't remember uh, the entire collection of them, but um, I know for sure one of my other favorites that we will probably get to at some point, which is the opening of Misty Beethoven, is also on Blu-ray. Um, and they're all really lovely restorations that you should definitely, definitely check out. Awesome. So until next time. Thanks for calling. Wait, oh, gross. Way too close to the mic. You terrible pervert. (laughs) Okay, I'll come back out. (laughs) No, you're good. You're good.